Morning, Joe. How are you doing today, man? Good, buddy. Um, how about you? A uh, bit of a crazy week. Yeah, always, isn't it? Uh, but uh, yeah, I can't complain. Doing well. P people here wouldn't know. Joe, I have to ask you. I haven't even asked you this question. How did you meet Mario and start ending up on these spaces? What people don't know, Joe and I lived in Philadelphia at the same time, late 90s, early 2000s. We hung out all the time, then probably didn't talk for 20 years, and then all of a sudden we're just on Twitter spaces together all the time. <laughs> yeah. I literally never asked you, how did you meet Mario? Yeah, it was just like the whole uh, SBF thing. Um, went crazy. Mario would pull me up more often. And then you know, just kind of really liked what it be evolved into where it was like a, a platform I kind of feel like was needed where you could hear both sides and not like this, uh, you know, one-sided bias media. And I like would offer help when possible to the point where I think we have a, a friendship now. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much how it started. It just happened to be into crypto, but it kind of, I liked where it was, where his platform was evolving to. Joe and I used to, we used to run the nightclubs in Philadelphia. It's true. Didn't we? Come on. Those yeah, were the, those I, were the days. Be, we were the be, boomers now. <laughs> I would be in the circle dancing and Scott would be the one uh, controlling the music everywhere. Now uh, I sound like uh, such a boomer, man, but those were, those really were the days. <laughs> big in Japan. So that's big, big in Japan. Scott's, Scott's claim to fame is that he was big in Japan. That was like four or five years later, <laughs> but I was really old. <laughs> Does awesome. that even exist anymore? Like things like shampoo where like uh, you just I, have like huge clubs. I just feel like it kind of died off. Yeah. I, I feel like that trend sort of died. I have to imagine that COVID wasn't too friendly to the mega nightclubs. I mean, there's still some around, but uh, certainly it's still big in Europe and Ibiza and such, but, um, and New York. And, but yeah, I think most of them probably uh, died off. Unfortunately, man, we had a lot of fun, but that's not what everyone's here to listen to. We, we guys, we have to always chatter, of course, as we get started. Uh, but, um, we're getting everybody up. Ren, how are you feeling on a, on, on this Friday in this, utterly dead and dry crypto news cycle that we have here outside of course of SBF and, and Caroline. I just got, uh, I just got, uh, I had a debate with Peter Schiff. Well, it wasn't supposed to be a debate. It was supposed to be a, uh, um, a discussion and it, it always lands up going back to, um, Bitcoin versus gold. He, he just can't avoid the, he, he just can't avoid that discussion. So, you can ask me anything. That, that's the frame of mind that I'm in. Yeah, and what, what was the uh, core of the argument? The funny thing is, maybe I should say this, it usually seems like even though he's sort of become a punching bag for the Bitcoin community, that we probably fundamentally agree with him on 99%. I was about to say that. I agree with him on 99%. He's actually got very, very, very smart like solutions to things like I said to him, you know, Peter, because like, it's very easy to get roped into things and like and to criticize the current government and whatever else. And I said to him, Peter, like if we were to put you, if we, if we waved a magic wand and we were to put you in government, what would you, what would you change? And he gave me like a whole lot of things of, of what he would change. And a lot of them actually really, really like valid things. And like I was, 
We agree on everything. The only thing we don't agree on is whether it's going to be gold or Bitcoin. He says buy gold, and we say buy Bitcoin and gold, and he doesn't see the end. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but uh, it really is. He, he has such hyperbolic tape, takes, and he's so anti-Bitcoin. It's very easy to, to focus in on that. But uh, every time we have him, I find it to be extremely enlightening and obviously a really, yeah, really smart guy. Super guy. He would, he would probably point to something uh, like half of our headline here, which is $1 trillion in new debt every 45 days. This is crazy. For those who have been keeping track, U.S. debt, Jumped forty billion in a day, thirty-three point five five trillion in federal de debt just twenty-five days after it hit a record thirty-three trillion. You guys remember when they raised the debt ceiling? It was only at what thirty-one. I mean, we're literally printing or or adding a trillion dollars to U.S. debt every forty-five days. How can this possibly? be sustainable. I want to knock this topic out, then I'll give you guys a review of all kind of the, the dry news that we have, and then we'll di dive obviously more into grayscale versus for the SEC. Scott, did you, did you see the other day our, our debt jumped up as more than the entire Russian debt in one single day? Jeez. It's absolutely insane. That is insane. I didn't see that. That's insane. And listen, I know that it's whataboutism, but I just found it funny that we were talking about Elizabeth Warren wanting to expedite the crypto tax rules because it might find $50 billion in taxes by 2026. She doesn't want to wait till 2026. And we're doing that every single day just in debt. It's just absolutely astounding. I mean, Peter, what, what do you make of this? Uh, have you ever seen uh, this sort of debt bonanza going on in the background that seemingly people aren't talking about? Peter, Peter Brandt, can you hear us? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the conclusion is what everybody knows, and that's fiat currency goes to zero. I mean, I've talked about that every time I have a chance. It, dollar was with the dollar when I was born is now worth four or five cents. I mean, same thing will happen for this generation. And so ultimately the punching bag becomes the U S dollar. And, you know, sure. The government can somehow change its debt by just ignoring it. But at the end result is the U S dollar gets clobbered. And that's bullish gold, bullish Bitcoin. And gold's having quite a day, actually. But w what's interesting is during this time of massively increased debt, of course, you have to zoom out. You can't just zoom in on these short times. But we've actually seen the dollar effectively raging, the DXY versus other currencies. That doesn't mean that the dollar is doing well. That actually means that the denominator is so poor. So if we're adding this much debt on a daily basis, how bad must it be for other currencies that the DXY continues to rise in that situation? Yeah, it's crazy. Let me point out something, too, on gold that I've, I've noticed. You know, gold had a big up gap on October 9th, you know, dealt with Israel. All of a sudden, we came in here on Monday. I had put out a poll Sunday where gold opened uh, 10 bucks or higher and or whatever the range may be. But, you know, we opened, we created a gap, and typically people say, oh, gaps will get filled. Well, that's not actually true. And so with the follow through we have, I'm thinking to myself, and I'm, I'm, you know, I own GLD, I own some gold ETFs, not a major owner, but I'm thinking, what if that gap was a breakaway gap? 
what if we are in the process to, of doing what's a, called a V-extended bottom? I had really been looking for gold to back and fill back down to under 1800 back to 1750 sometime in February, March, then go to 3600 so I'm kind of back on the drawing board and going, you know, what if what if I missed the boat here? Missed the boat, but the, assuming you're just saying that you missed the bottom, but your still base case is that it effectively doubles from here, right? Oh, totally. I, mean, I, I remember Mike, Nova, Mike Novogratz kind of made the same point not so long ago. It was in the media. He said, listen, if gold breaks and holds 2,000, it's immediately going to 3,000, right? And we've seen that in the past. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I've felt that way for months and months and months and quarters that you know, gold was building a, a, a huge accumulation phase. And, you know, of course, we get into the argument of Bitcoin and gold versus gold. Well, you know, I feel like you both. I like both. But, uh, yeah, so maybe we this whole thing in the Mideast has just created what is what I've been expecting as a March low and uh, higher and sooner, and you know we've got a breakaway gap, and of course that could be filled and change the narrative. But as long as that gap remains unfilled, I'm just thinking that gap is the start of a move. Gareth, we were talking about gold literally yesterday, kind of uh, talking about how we thought it was looking pretty bullish. I was saying that I was actually had been buying gold. Uh, when you asked me that question on Market Mavericks, and here we are already a, a day later, basically seeing it up from, I'm, I'm looking at the weekly here, but on, on the day, gold up basically from 1869 over 1900, currently at 1915. There's a pretty big move for gold over the last you know week, week and a half. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been a monster move. And I think what's so interesting is just the week prior, you had this almost flush out. And, you know, one of the things for investors always to remember is that before a big run, there's usually going to be a flush out that makes everyone doubt it. Great example of this was with oil, where oil pushed up to 93. It then un overnight popped to 95, reversed the next day. And then we know it's, it's kind of collapsed back down from there. That kind of got all the shorts out, got the last people bullish. And then you look at gold and kind of the same thing happened uh, about a week ago just before this move and now what's amazing about gold today is is it's now breaking out of a downward channel um, if it holds this basically if it holds above 1905 today you're looking at you know consolidation and then a run at the the all-time highs and i think you know you have a good shot of getting to the all-time highs by year end now uh, with a breakout in 2024 uh, the other thing to mention too and, and i can't show my charts but if we do trendly trend higher and reattack that you know 2080 level on gold, you do have an inverse head and shoulders here, which mapped out puts us at around $2,500 per ounce at some point next year. So Gareth, I'm interested to know, I'm interested to know how as a trader, how you trade this, like, were you buying it like at the lower ranges or were you waiting for the, like, is now the right time to buy? And I'm not asking for financial advice. I'm just, I'm trying to get into the mind of a trader to say, when do you actually take the trade? When you're convinced that the trend, that the trend has changed? Like now where, you know, yep. or like, let's put it this way. On the 6th of October, we bottomed at 1810. Now we're at 1915. Yep. And the last daily candle was one that went from 1868 to 1915. Now, what do you do? Do you wait for a pullback? Or do you say, this is now an uptrend and now we're going to start buying? Because I mean, let, let's get, the, that's what people want to know here. Buy or don't buy. Yeah. 
So, so the way I handle it, just to give you guys, you know, some actual trades is that with my group, we, when we were down at that 1800 area, I was picking up various gold miners, right? Picking up Barrick gold, picking up a silver miner, AG, um, first majestic. And then we actually unloaded those today. So we're selling into strength here. Now that doesn't mean that it's not going to eventually go higher, but the biggest mistake investors make is chasing after a big run you get, cause this is when the hype hits, right? This is when everyone starts to say, Oh my God, look at it go. I got to jump on board. I'm missing the boat. In reality, the the good traders, they say, you know what, if I didn't catch this, I'm going to sit on the sidelines, be patient. At some point, it will form a bull flag or we'll have a small pullback. And then I'll jump in at that point. So so I still have some gold positions on the long side, like GLD and, and GDX, which is the gold miner ETF. But I did take some profits because again, on after a run like this, I mean, this is a massive run. You, know, you just, you just want to pair back your exposure, it, put some profits in your pocket. Is it a massive run? Like, I mean, if I, if, I, if I'm if I'm going to be critical, I'm going to say, look, we're at the same levels we were on September 26, which is three weeks ago. So we're just we just reversed the last three weeks trend. Like is that is that what you call a massive run? Because the way that you guys are talking about gold, and when I say you guys, I'm talking about you, Peter Schiff, uh, uh, Peter mm-hmm. Brandt, who's on here. Like you guys are talking about gold as if it's going up to three thousand dollars. Yeah. And again, you know, if you're someone who's like, hey, listen, I'm going to hold my gold for five or 10 years, then then to be honest, you know, move from 1800 to 1900 here is not a huge deal. Like you can still buy, you know, for me, though, if, if you're asking me about entry price, like I'm, I'm not someone who pays up $100 for something, you know, when I could have bought it $100 cheaper. It's the same method as mm-hmm. going to the store, right? You're not going to pay $100 for a pair of jeans higher than you could have bought last week. You'll wait till it goes on sale again. So so in general, I would just say look for a pullback to maybe 18. 80, 1885, and then start moving in at that point. Um, but again, that's I'm a shorter term trader. So again, that's part of that that psychology of not chasing. Because think about the mentality of chasing. It, you know, think about people that were buying at 65 to 69,000 on Bitcoin. I mean, that was when the narrative got so bullish. So when things rush up, take a step back and say, listen, you know, if I was going to the store and I saw milk that was $10 a gallon, would I be getting really excited to buy milk at $10 a gallon? Or would I say, you know what, I'll wait till next week when it's back down to five bucks a gallon or whatever it is. Right. So I think, I think putting that mentality on investments is really important. Don't chase, don't be part of the chasing crowd. Instead, wait for things to kind of settle down, pull back and reevaluate. Hey, Gareth, the funny, the funny uh, opposite of that is if you went to the store and people saw expired discounted milk, they would buy it, but they'll never buy their favorite stock or asset when it's on a discount. Uh, Peter, That's true. Uh, I, want to hear, I want to hear Peter Brandt's point, his hand up, and, and I'm keen to hear Peter Brandt, your, your view. Do you agree with Gareth that wait for a pullback or would you say, listen, at 1913, the trend is up, jump in and, and, and jump in. Now's a good time to jump in. Well, I mean, you know, it's a matter of time frame, obviously, right? I mean, if you're a, a swing trader for a week or two, I yeah, you wait for a pullback. Although I, I, I think 1890, 1900 is a good level from a futures point of view, but we're, I, I'm with you, Mario. I, I look at where I think gold is going, and again, we've had a hundred buck move. It's not, it's not earth shattering. That it just as some, as you have to have some Bitcoin in your stable that you hold under all circumstances. I feel the same way about gold, and so I, I've also seen this big inverted continuation head and shoulders on the weekly chart in gold. I've, I've been watching it for months. And so I think the thing that's that that's in play. But if you look at the charts, there's reasons to say, well, I may not want to wait 
to do some buying. You look at uh, you look at the weekly chart of SLV. It's put in a dramatic doji candle at the bottom last week. Uh, this week we closed the gap from last week, and so I look at uh, I look at the silver ETFs. I don't think a person should be shy to buy them right here. Now yeah. that being said, I wouldn't risk you know any more than two three percent of my total assets on the trade. I mean, I, I don't care. Can, can, we, can we just talk about silver for a second? Because like silver has done nothing for as long as I can remember. Like I, honestly, I'm going back to when I last bought, I, I last bought silver in 20, I'm just looking for my purchase price here. I, I last bought silver in 2020, 2021, April 6th. I paid $23. It's now twenty two fifty six. It just feels like such a neglected trade. What am, what am I missing here? I, I don't think you're missing anything. I, I think silver is the, the most undervalued commodity out there on my on my chart board. And yeah. it's currently putting in a serious hammer on the 50 MA and the monthly as well, which looks like it could uh, be the lagger that finally performs after this. And I, I think, to, by the way, I just want to reiterate that Peter, I think, made the most important point, which is that it's about time frame. Because if you ask me the same question, I'd say, look, I'm not I'm accumulating gold. I'm not looking to sell it for years, if ever. I think this is an incredible price. And I like that it went up 100 to show me that there's a little bit uh, of actual potential here on the move. And plenty of plenty of traders like to buy things a bit higher on confirmation. So it's really about strategy and time frame. Gar Gareth is yeah. buying this to make a quick profit. If you're buying it because it's an asset you want long term in your investment portfolio, there's no reason to be scared of a hundred dollar move to the upside. And the risk of buying at 1910 is nothing compared to the risk of missing 1880 or whatever the numbers were. I'm sorry. Uh, looking at it, yeah, 1910 versus 1880. What if 1880 never comes and you literally never add gold to your long term portfolio when you wanted to? So it's really just about your personal preference and risk management. Yeah. And just to jump in on that too, and that's that's exactly correct. So it's more like you know, like like you said, timing, time wise. You know, the only thing I would definitely say to people is that you know, generally you want to buy assets when people are hating on them, and and you know, you go back a week ago, and if you look at the gold chart, it was into major support, but people were panicking, like why is gold dropping nine days in a row? Um, so just keep that in mind for future investments. Is if it's a sound theory, right, or a sound thesis, and your thesis hasn't been negated, which is that the government eventually is going to print and inflate probably remains elevated, then discounts should be bought, not freaked out about. And then I think that's that's the moral here. And I do want to say that even though these are like, all right, so last week when we were down there, I actually purchased physical metal and physical is not something I trade, right? It's it's tucking it away in, in, in a vault somewhere and just kind of holding it. And it's one of those security things that I'll pass down to my kids if it never, if I never need to use it. But I do think there's, there's that time frame and the physical is more for me, the long term while my investment accounts are more to trade. Ren, I think that uh, we should, pro well, Joe, I'll let you speak and give your final thoughts here. And then obviously, since the name is Crypto Town Hall, we should move on to that. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, yeah, I just, I actually wanted to ask Peter a question, just just to change the point of view, because something he said plays into my narrative of what I think happens to Bitcoin, which is the dollar devaluing. Instead of thinking about it, when does gold go up, Peter, when does dollar go down? When does all this debt put so much pressure that we start to see it going down? Because Scott brought up a good point. It doesn't mean that it's strong. It means other countries are moving into the dollar at the moment because they don't have a better option. I, and I just can't predict when when this pressure becomes too much from all this new debt. 
Well, I think the answer to that is you have to look at the purchasing power of the dollar, not the dollar versus other currencies or necessarily the price of gold or Bitcoin. You have to look at whether it's purchasing power is it's being destroyed. Uh, you know, 8% inflation, you go back into the 70s, the dollar got destroyed, but you measured that destruction against what the dollar can be exchanged for. And the, the, right now, the dollar is losing its purchasing power. It's holding its purchasing power sideways for short term against the Bitcoin, but it's losing it against a basket of groceries, a uh, gallon of gas, uh, a, a, a real piece of real estate. It's already being destroyed. And so that's the key is the, the, the dollar gets destroyed relative to what it can buy or relative to what it can be exchanged for. An interesting gold-related trade, too, in that regard is, is Swiss franc. Uh, I really like the Swiss franc. You look at uh, the Swiss government, they have more gold backing their, uh, the, the float that they have in the reserve currency uh, bu- bucket than anybody else by a quantum number, by, you know, 10x. And uh, so I just think, you know, owning some Swiss franc related assets, having long Swiss franc exposure also kind of in my mind has to be thrown in the mix as to how I hedge myself against the ultimate destruction of the U.S. dollar and other fiat currencies. Yeah, not just gold, but they also invest in equities, which I think is an amazing model. Yeah. Can I just ask, um, what's the Bay case for gold? Like what what? I remember that that gold has had some bear case years. What and I wasn't I wasn't following the gold price. Like, what's the bear case? At what point do 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 countries people stop going into gold? Like, I'll jump in here, and, and and for me, it's it's honestly when Elon Musk starts mining asteroids. And it's, I know that sounds a little wacky, but there will be a point where technology allows us to do that. In fact, I think we just bought a sample back from one. I still think it's 50 years down the line or 100 years down the line, but there will be a point where, you know, in the in the universe or in the galaxy here, there's a ton of gold out there somewhere. Okay, but barring humans on Mars and asteroids and, 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 and sci-fi shit, what, what is the big case for gold? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sci-fi shit uh, go ahead Gareth you, you I, one besides the mine well he's the one who went with the mining the asteroid so maybe somebody uh, else has a uh... <laughs> well, Man, are you trying to bait talk. us to, are you trying to bait us to say that Bitcoin will replace it no, no I mean, one, I mean, one look, thing. let's just let's just let's just live in a world live in a realistic world where not everyone is just going to jump from gold to Bitcoin and you're going to get at least 50 years of the two of them working in you know and before oh, you just got canceled by the Bitcoin Maxi Council. Sorry. Yeah, I got canceled by the Bitcoin Maxi Council in 2017 when I started buying altcoins. So I've been. I've yeah, been you a- can you, you can never stop getting canceled by that. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Yeah, but I mean, let's just agree that that, that people aren't going to the big institutions and they're not going to take out all their money out of GLD and put it into the Bitcoin ETF that is apparently going to be approved this afternoon. Um, you know, it's not going to happen like that. So in in the absence of that, like. You know, let's just agree that you're going to get both. There's going to be 50 years of both. Hey, Mario, okay, this is should, a, yeah, go ahead, pointed yeah. out that central banks have been gobbling up gold in the last 12 months uh, like seldom before. Um, they're massive buyers. And so if somebody wants to really take a look at that and Google that, they'll see that 
Uh, it's just not a spec play. It's a central bank play. And when it is a central bank play, by the way, central banks are exchanging their currencies to purchase that gold. And so, you know, they're already, in effect, taking a short play on their own on their own fiat. Go ahead, Tom. We finally got you up here. Go ahead. Yes. Awesome. <clears throat> Morning, everyone. Uh, so the biggest reason to not buy gold, right, is it has no intrinsic yield. So you're competing right now with 5% plus treasury bills on the short end. So it's really challenging, even from an institutional perspective. And I remember going in boardrooms and trying to convince pensions uh, that they should they should get gold when yields were at 2%. And they would, they would basically be saying like, yeah, gold really hasn't done anything in the past 20, 30 years. Like, yeah, it might be a devaluation sort of hedge play, but we're getting we're getting yield here on this other on these other assets and we have upside on them so so why do we need that in our portfolio so you know that, that's really the the bear case or the downside is the opportunity cost but besides that there there really isn't a bear case okay okay that's a perfect segue into bitcoin then tom right because uh we had the argument that it was uh, at a low yield environment, that Bitcoin was a great investment. Can you make the same case right now for Bitcoin because it doesn't have an intrinsic yield itself? We have a lot of whole, we have a whole lot of uh, crypto and Bitcoin analysts on stage, so that's my uh, my segue. Go ahead, Tom. What do you think? Yeah, I'll start here, and I'm sure people have uh, have thought about this a lot more um, than I have certainly, but. You know, I think you need Bitcoin in your portfolio, but, you know, to convince the bigger allocators, you need to convince them that Bitcoin has value and it is a devaluation hedge against the dollar and against other, you know, sort of things that may go down. I, I still think we haven't proven that out yet just because of how Bitcoin has acted in risk off environments. So, you know, I think right now it's it's nice that Bitcoin's outperforming as other things go down. But, you know, we need to continue to have those scenarios to, to give others confidence that they need to invest in their portfolio. So yesterday when I challenged, uh, when I challenged Peter Schiff earlier, actually, um, I, um, I asked him, we, we were arguing about uh, the Bitcoin's return because, you know, I pulled out the chart and I said, look, look at Bitcoin. He said, Bitcoin's garbage. I said, it's not garbage relative to gold. And I said to him, let's look at any time frame that you want to see how Bitcoin's outperform gold. And he said, cool, let's look from 2017 to 20." To, until today. And he picked, I don't know if he pre, pre-planned it, but he picked the one time frame where he said, look, if I look at the, the high of 2017 and he picked the date, we picked a random date, it was like 15th of June or 15th of August or whatever it was. And, and we measured the return of Bitcoin and that was coincidentally the high of Bitcoin. So the return of Bitcoin was about 20% or 25%. And then he looked at the high, the gold performance since then, gold was at 35%. So like at, on that time period, gold actually outperformed. If you take yeah, I don't think that's a surprise. Tom, you can jump back in if that was directed at you. Yeah, so there, there's a few periods that gold has outperformed Bitcoin. I'm going to tweet a chart here, and then we can we can pin it. It's basically Bitcoin um, versus gold in the S and P 500, and basically every rolling period you have for the last 14 years, Bitcoin has outperformed. So, you know, it's called endpoint bias, right? You can pick any endpoint you want and you can look back and say like, oh, this asset has performed over this very specific period of time if you're trying to make your point. But if you look at every rolling period for the last 14 years, Bitcoin has, you know, essentially crushed gold, um, crushed the S&P 500 outside of the two-year time frame. That's basically it. So I'll tweet that out and we can pin it up. Yeah, we'll pin it up. Rand, let's talk about Bitcoin price action though, right? We've got a great panel up here for that. And obviously, 
we've seen this sort of historical lack of correlation with Bitcoin to to stocks, to gold, the inverse correlation that's usually there with the DXY. My argument has been that that's just where we are in the cycle and that we see this in sort of this pre-having year every year. There's a lack of volatility, lack of volume and lack of interest. But I would love everybody else's take on why Bitcoin isn't really making dramatic moves while all of these sort of global and macro events are happening that many would argue we should be correlated to. Rec, do you want to jump in? Sure. I mean, uh, we're currently in the pre-halving year and uh, we always tend to see this sort of macro accumulation with upside volatility throughout the year, downside volatility throughout the year. And these pre-halving years, 2015, 2019, and also 2023 now, we see lots of similar price action, loads of recurring tendencies. And is that because of the global climate? Is it because of just these tendencies typically happening within pre-halving years? Very kind of difficult to say, but... uh, We've seen in 2015, for instance, that a downside wick happens on the yearly candle. And in 2019, we also saw a relatively uh, a downside wick on the yearly candle relatively early in the year. So we won't see new ties this year in 2023, simply because we tend to see that sort of downside volatility early in the year and upside volatility later in the year. So technically, you know, maybe the local top is in already. Uh, we're seeing a lot of weakness at these highs. But the pre-halving year is typically what we, we see in terms of upside volatility and downside volatility throughout the year, just wrecking uh, bulls and bears alike. Right. So quickly, that... Yeah, Can I just say... The, what, go ahead, Ray. Yeah. Sorry. Ran, you're breaking up, buddy. I can't hear you. I don't know if it's just me. Can you guys hear Ran? Anyone? Is it my connection? No, I think I think that Ran, you have a bad connection. So I'll, I'll jump back in while you uh, get into a better place. I was going to say it's wrecked. Does that mean that you think that 31k is the yearly top, much like that 14k move that we saw in 2019? Because then if we're comparing those cycles, you would expect that we will see price drop quite a bit lower to make that sort of higher low that's been a shakeout in the pre-happening year every single time, right? We saw Bitcoin in 2019 went from sub around 4k all the way up to 14 and then obviously made the COVID low, which was a slightly higher low. We saw effectively the same thing in 2015. Does that mean maybe we get, you know, an 18, 19, 20k type wick this year before heading into the halving year? I think uh, sub 20k at best and 20k pretty realistically speaking, later this year or early next year in the halving, uh, because at this very same point in the cycle in 2019 and 2015, so around 190 days away from the halving, we've seen in 2015 a 25% retracement. In 2019, we've seen a 38% retracement at this very same point in the cycle. So we're currently 190 days away from the halving. We've seen retracements at the same point in the cycle. So technically, we should be seeing a retrace uh, at least begin right now. But that retrace could see us go into late this year or early in the halving year. And just one last thing that I want to point out here is that uh, I wasn't really bullish on an October. I think uh, that wasn't a very popular opinion going into October, but 
2019 saw an October yield of just 10%. And uh, this year, we've this this October, we've only seen 5 to 6%. On, and in fact, October right now is minus 1% or maybe even flat right now. So I felt like right. this was going to be a very different October to what we've seen in the past. And so far, so good. I, I'm still very very much leading to a, to a deeper retrace later this uh, year yeah. or early next year. I agree that it's I'll more about the worrying me, guys. than the month. Yeah, I want to worry. I'll tell you what's worrying me about you. What's worrying me here is that the entire crypto universe has pinned their hopes on exactly the same fractal of the pre-halving year going, sl- going slightly down and then at some point doing an aggressive turnaround. And I'm just worried because that's the only hope that everybody's got. And I just can't... Well, we do, have a, we do have that ETF thing. Yeah, but the hope that we have is that the ETF coincides exactly with the with, with the halving, and you know it's kind of like it. It just I've seen this before. I've seen this movie before. Everybody's expecting exactly the same thing. Everybody's expecting the mark. Right now, the point of Max Payne is that Bitcoin shocks everybody because everybody everybody's calling it, it down. Ben Cowan's calling it down. Um, Rekt is calling it down. Every every big account that I've seen tweeting is tweeting Bitcoin to go to retrace and then to turn sometime, is it on the halving or just before the halving or something along uh, along the, along that uh, those times. And I just think now the point of Max Payne is to leave every single one of those people behind. So then the, that begs a better question. Maybe we should go around. Peter, I saw you had your hand up. Is there anyone here who does not, well, Rand, you obviously qualified, does not think that 31K is the top for 2023? Anybody have a thought on that? Don, I would love to hear your opinion. Hey, what's up? Um, well, speaking about it, I do think it will be difficult to break that high this year, but I don't think we're going to drop that much lower. Um, so I think the consensus is that we may be like going to 23K or whatever, uh, which I think is fair. I mean, it's only 10% down or whatever. Uh, but overall, I feel like um, if we compare this to like those pre-halving years, for example, 2019, uh, obviously we had a huge run up. We went like 4x or more from the 3k bottom uh, to 14k. And obviously the fall from there was quite large as well. Even uh, if we don't uh, account for COVID in uh, 2020, I think we still went to like just below 7k. So that was over a 50% drop. But I mean, then again, it was after a 4x increase in maybe half a year. So I just think everything is uh, like we've always been seeing. We see diminishing returns and also just a bit uh, less of a correction following those. So in my opinion, I think we just range around this around 25 to 28k area, maybe for the rest of the year. And uh, just... Yeah. From a speaker point of view, just I see there's this there's myself, Mario, Scott, Peter, Dan, Gareth, Patrick, Tom, Joa, Bull, Rekt. Can the speakers just put your hands up if you think we're gonna break the twenty one the thirty one thousand by the end of this year? Can I can I change the question, Ren? Yes. The thirty break the thirty one thousand before the having. Because I think that changes the narrative. And I think that's the important thing here is everyone's waiting for the having them for it to go up. Do we believe it'll go above 31 before the having? I think would make more sense. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. If, if, so we've got 10 speakers here. Um, three of the 10 speakers are saying that we will break the 31,000 before the having. That's it. Bull, is that a hand up? So it's four. 
Uh, I think I think Bull bought. Bull, okay, so Bull got. Yeah, got I can't Bill. put my hand up. By the way, I don't think because I'm a co-host. <laughs> You, you can put your, you can put your hand up. I did. Oh no, I'm a speaker. Okay, so yeah, you can end up with that. I think it. I think before the having that it'll at least uh, test it and mess around and go above. But I don't think that it might may last very long. Okay, no worries. Let, 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 let's be a little. But bit we more have the ATFs so. The ETFs we are supposed to be approved in January. To, to be honest, my feelings at the ETF price action, uh, the ETF approval is the exact price action that we already saw from BlackRock filing for an ETF. I think long term it will be very, very bullish. But the move from 25 to 31 in one week, if we're sitting at 25 when the ETFs approved, I bet we get to 31. But that's for the people paying attention today, right? Which is very small in comparison to one when, when it actually starts going up and these ETFs are available to other people. Yeah, I think it's just That's more like a having event where you get the news and then it takes a very long time for the fundamental underpinning of it to actually play out. I think it's very, very bullish. Don't get me wrong. P Peter, I, saw, I don't know if you're raising your hand for uh, your price prediction or to speak, but I think to speak. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to be the minority on here. I think the having, and I think the ETF had non-events. I'm a futures guy. I've been trading futures since 1975. I'm used to the fact that things get discounted in advance. You don't wait around for events to happen and say, okay, you start from zero on price action. Price action discounts events in advance and anticipates events in advance. To me, especially the having is a complete non-event. ETF, I'm a little bit unsure of that one. Yeah, I mean, that aligns, I think, with what I was saying. I think that you get the pop, and then it takes a very, very long time to actually see if there's a fundamental change from the ETF, how much interest there is in it, how much buying there has to be underlying it. And I think those are kind of unknown unknowns for the moment. I don't know if anyone disagrees, but I'm very bullish on the ETF. I think it's a huge step, but I'd, I don't really see it taking price from 25 to 50 in a week like I think a lot of people do. Patrick, we haven't heard from you yet. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I would agree with most of what Scott was saying that um, if this the uh, filing for the ETF took us from, what, 25 to 31, like you were saying? Yeah, exactly, a week. Then I think uh, the confirmation or approval of it is going to at least tap that, probably take us above that, and then it's going to change change the structural inflows where, where you now have a lot of um, structural buying for BTC that you didn't have before, which will just help us steadily grind up over time. Ren, what do you think? We haven't really talked about this. I mean, I know you think that the path of max pain now is up, but do you think that the ETF itself is a part of that? Or do you think that that's sort of a separate narrative at this point? I think if I think if the ETF gets approved, Bitcoin jumps to $40,000, $40,000, it may It may retrace. It may retrace. But I think that if we get an ETF approval, I think Bitcoin has a god candle to forty or forty-five thousand, so something like that. Does it matter what ETF? If you let, let's say that I mean, we we haven't even talked about Grayscale versus the SEC caveat. deadline. Yeah. I mean, we do have a deadline today. In theory, people could say that we would see one today. I don't think so. No, it wouldn't. But, no, no. Today, there's not. I mean, there's no. There's not no chance. There's a very, 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 very low chance that there's an ETF today. Today is just the day for them to appeal the case and. As we discussed yesterday, there's no real upside for the SEC in appealing the case. There's zero upside for them to appeal the case because if they do, what do they gain? They gain nothing. The only thing that they that unless they can prove that a Bitcoin time ETF, no time for what? Time I'm just for, saying, people, hey, there's a there's a feeling that the SEC will do literally anything in their. I agree with you, by the way, but that they'll do anything in their power to just 
kick cans down the road whenever possible. Option number so listen to the SEC's options. Option number one, concede this loss, but actually concede nothing. We, okay, we concede the loss, grayscale, go back and refile, or go back and there's another 90 days, or go back and listen, we're not approving any spot ETFs because we're we're in a review period. Great. Option number two, they appeal and they risk taking a second loss and wasting money. And you know, despite what I may say about the SEC, I do know that they they are worried about spending too much money if they can if they can avoid it. Um so I don't see the upside for, for the SEC in actually appealing this case. Because it's not like they have to approve a Bitcoin spot ETF. They just can't decline a Bitcoin spot ETF on the same terms. That's it. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Bill, we haven't heard from you. Uh, any thoughts here? Great to see you. Yeah, great to see you as well. Uh, I, I uh, Sorry, I apologize. I've got uh, uh, at the airport, so if it's too loud, let me know and I'll, I'll mute. Um, I think that Peter's right. I think I think the having is a non-event. I think the um, you know the things that are interesting to me are surprises, right? So I think we're in for a surprise via the Fed. Uh, I think you cannot have this level of debt and not have interest rates become significantly lower because if they don't, we're fucked. And and so it's a foregone conclusion that one they've been wrong every time in their forward guidance, at least in my lifetime. And unfortunately, I'm probably the old guy up here. They have literally been wrong every single time on their guidance. So assuming that that holds, um, you know, there is going to be surprise liquidity coming into the market. And it's only a surprise because most people are actually believing the Fed right now. I don't. I think they're absolutely wrong with their guidance simply because the economy uh, cannot absorb this level of interest payments uh, easily, uh, which is basically just creates a circular spiral, uh, sorry, spiral on the debt. Which, so two um, things there, Bill. First of all, yeah. first of all, you can't say you're the old guy because we do have Peter up on stage. So all right, Peter, stage, thank you. Please, please stay as long on, as possible. On, Peter, on this stage, you. on this stage, you can't say that. Second of all, all right. I want to ask you a question. Do you know what the total tax collection of the United States government is, uh, is or was it, or it is in 2023? Mm, no, but it's easy to calculate because you could just look at it's, the debt versus the spend. <laughs> so. It's four trillion dollars. Right. Four trillion dollars. And yeah. right now, as it stands, they're going to spend $1 trillion of the $4 trillion uh, servicing debt. Right. That's 25%. 25% of the total tax collection of the United States is going to servicing debt. And they're going to be refinancing 33% of that debt in the coming At a higher rate. At from a higher rate. lower than 2% to yeah, over exactly. 5%. And so I think that $1 trillion number is going to go up significantly. And the spiral is going to basically cause them to have to do some you know, backtracking uh, not to mention the fact that I do think unemployment uh, numbers are completely understated. Uh, and I think the actual, the real ineffective un- un- unemployment number is higher because of the way they, they uh, change the denominator. Yeah, of it's people with their, two jobs. Case. <laughs> Effectively, but it's, more, it's even more than that. I actually think they just skew the denominator to make, the, to make their case uh, and, and we'll say what they have to right now to, uh, to, not, to not turn into Volcker. So anyway, I... I my take is, is we're going to get surprise liquidity in the system next year. I don't think it's going to be having driven. I think it may coincide timing wise with the having and people will once again, correlate the having with an up move, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think peace is going to break out, which people aren't expecting right now. And I think we're going to get a big pump in liquidity when, when the debt be- burden becomes unsustainable in the next few months. Well, we know we'll get the pump in liquidity. The timing is always the hard part, right? I mean, that's literally inevitable. Yep. I agree. Yeah, Patrick, then Joa. 
Yeah, so uh, Hindenburg Research did a study on 55 countries that reached a 120% debt-to-GDP ratio, which is around where the U.S. is now, and 54 of them ended up monetizing the debt. So as far as I'm concerned, it's basically a matter of if, not when, they have to turn the money printer back on. You mean when, not if? Yeah, I assume. When, not if. Yeah, yeah when, yeah. not if. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with that. The only, I think, argument people would make pushing back is that none of those countries were the United States with the global reserve currency. But I tend to agree with you, but there is an argument that uh, it is a bit different when talking about the U.S. versus smaller economies. Do you think that that's uh, valid? I think it's valid. And I think the difference, if um, if you look into the dollar milkshake theory, is that probably the U.S. dollar will be one of the last fiat currencies to fall simply because so much debt and exports are are uh, measured in dollars. Uh, but that being said, that doesn't change the ultimate outcome, which is that you can't have debt increasing ad infinitum. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, to bring it back just to the ETF thing, I, I think this ETF is different just because we have a situation, like example in New York, uh, where you have billionaires row where I think it's like 68% of the properties are empty. Billionaires are simply using it as a uh, safety deposit box almost, uh, where they're parking capital because they have nowhere else to put it. Uh, Once we have, and if you do the calculation, it's actually a better return to just buy the ETF than to do the real estate part, especially when, you know, real estate prices seem like they're probably going, like they're going down. Uh, refinancing is becoming impossible. Um, I, I just see it as an alternative for people that don't know where to put their money that have too much money. Uh, so, so and that's why I think the CTF's a bit different. Yeah, the challenge with that is is that with, with real estate, real estate is, is less liquid than the actual ETF, whereas Bitcoin trades 24-7 and you're basically re- launching a product that trades 30 hours a week. So I think you're going to see massive outflows from Grayscale uh, as people, as, as the, uh, the discount converges to zero, uh, not to mention the fact that, you know, God knows what's going on with DCG behind the scenes. And I think it's going to be a big nothing burger from, uh, from a liquidity perspective in the Bitcoin markets, except to send a positive message that, uh, you know, this has been blessed and BlackRock is real and, and you know, hopefully the others like ARK are real. But I think the public is going to be disappointed when it comes to the, the, the actual volume purchased in these ETFs. I, I'd be shocked if it was over a couple of billion dollars. We have some precedent, uh, obviously, but I think it's largely the timing in the market. We had the Bitcoin futures ETF. Of course, it was the top of the market, <laughs> as we've seen many, many times. But that did, on BITO, did a billion in a matter of days, a couple billion uh between them, Valkyrie, and others that were approved over the first two weeks. But then we have an Ethereum futures ETF and blended ETFs, and they did literally a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? And sure, but, but that's, core that's, of bear market. Uh, that's micro strategy for a couple of quarters, right? So again, I actually think it's it's liquidity and retail that is ultimately going to get Bitcoin to the promised land, if, if that's all you care about. I, it's not what I care about, but um, if, if, if the focus is just on price, you cannot get there. On, on a couple more billion dollars being put under lock and key. You just can't. What would be the number? You know, we've heard numbers, people <laughs> saying it would be 20, 30 billion flowing into those. I think that's a bit uh, exaggerated, to be quite honest. I think with time, and I do think that if BlackRock gets approved, they likely have, uh, you know, <laughs> some, some investors lined up. I don't think BlackRock launches and uh, comes out flat, but uh, there's got to be some number where it becomes meaningful enough to really push price. 
Yeah, I think it's billions with an S. Um, and like I said, I think I think that's a another government-driven uh, pump of liquidity that we um, are likely going to get next year anyway. So the narratives will probably be, yeah, thank God we got the ETF. Thank God we had the halving. And I just, uh, I'm, say, I'm telling you, like, that just doesn't correlate. The math just doesn't work, right? The, the only math that, that's, that's worked for Bitcoin and, and, and Ethereum run-ups so far, I'm not talking about usage, I'm talking about price run-ups, are, are these, you know, government-driven changes to liquidity, stimulus checks. And, and think about it, all the savings that was generated in the United States is basically gone. It's, 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 it's dwindled to zero in the last, the last few months. And now we're running massive amounts of, of debt uh, at the consumer level, uh, which we have a hangover on. And God knows how we're going to deal with that at these interest rates. And that's actually exacerbating the problem. So we're in a very different environment now than we were during the last run-ups. And so I, the good news is, is if, you, if all you care about is the price of Bitcoin, uh, I think that the government's going to have no choice but to support your uh, your, your base case in the next year. There's Does anybody disagree with that reply, guy, Joa? Can I just reply to what I was saying about the ETF? The, the thing that I noticed, Bill, and I've, I've been in crypto for a long time, 2012, there's a narrative that's starting to play out, which I've never heard, except in the very beginning of Bitcoin, which is it, I'm hearing a lot less talk about speculation and I'm hearing a lot more people. I'm, I mean, I'm shocked I'm hearing Peter Brandt talked about you should own gold and Bitcoin. I'm hearing much more flight safety talks than I've heard since the very beginning, uh, like in 2011, 2012 of Bitcoin. And I think that's the narrative that's changing because that is that changes things for people. Um, and I don't know, Scott, I know you've been around a long time. I don't know if you have that sentiment as well or if it's just me, um, but it just feels like it's a different conversation than it was. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, actually. Um, guys, as we're talking about this, I actually realized we didn't kind of do the very brief uh, news review. So I just want to kind of highlight really quickly the the few main stories that we do have, at least in the in crypto today. Um, we have Grayscale SEC deadline at midnight. That, of course, we've kind of talked a, a bit about maybe becomes a nothing burger, but that seems to be the biggest story of the moment. There was a story on Cointelegraph that Coinbase spot trading volume falls by 52% compared to 2022. I don't think that surprises anyone. I think that whether you believe in the uh, pre-having year or not, that that's exactly what we would see aligning at this time. Uniswap launches Android wallet beta for Google Play. Platypus Finance suffers more than $2 million exploit on Avalanche. If you haven't seen a $2 million hack, is it even a day in crypto? I don't think so. And Coinless launching... Uh, where did that one go? It disappeared. Coinless launching staking fund that will offer U.S. accredited investors the opportunity to earn yield on their assets. And then, of course, maybe, uh, you know, personally, the biggest story of the day, CFTC charges former chief executive officer of digital asset platform Voyager with fraud uh, in massive commodity pool scheme. Uh, I actually brought up Amateo, my good friend over there, uh, who obviously was head of marketing at Voyager for a long time. Everybody knows that I was a big fan, friend of Steve and creditor there as well. I, I would love to just hear your thoughts, Amateo, on seeing this news because it seemed like this was going to be pretty clean. Yeah, uh, caught me by surprise. Um, you know, I think we had seen the investigation being underway. I think a lot of us had a lot of questions if anything was going to come from it. Um, it looks like the, the main piece of this is around misleading communications. 
Um, and you can imagine as head of marketing, uh, what a weird place it is to see this news because, uh, you know, when it came to everything from FDIC insurance to stable coins to yields, especially when it came to uh, kind of the final days when everything started to go down, um, you know, we were given these communications. Uh, and I think similar, <laughs> I think we all drank the Kool-Aid, Scott, and I think many other people did in terms of, hey, uh, you know, Voyager is built different, right? I mean, those are kind of the, this time is different, built different, or almost the famous last words. But we all had this underlying perception. Um, and I think what may surprise people is that the employees did too, that um, the way that we were going about generating yield was in the lowest risk fashion with the highest liquidity providers, with uh, kind of a proprietary set of partners, and that the executive team was going to be doing everything absolutely necessary at the highest level in order to um, protect user assets. And uh, there was always just this reassurance behind the scenes. So I think one of the big questions that um, was in the filing is the communication that happened right before the bankruptcy was filed that saying, hey, the assets are safe and, and you know, Voyager is well positioned and there's really nothing to worry about, you know, kind of try to stop this mass. Your panic. assets are FDIC insured. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, I, I do think that 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 the communication, I mean, it was always really tricky, right? Like we were guided to put FDIC insurance with the clause that this is only in reference to uh, USD, not USDC kind of sandwich uh, right next to uh, stable coin yields. So I'm not surprised that it was seemed as misleading. I always had concerns about it. It was always something that we had voiced that was like, uh, okay, like we'll do this, but you know, I don't think any of us ever thought that it would come to this. So when, when we received this communication that all these, you know, assets were secure, I think myself amongst everyone else, man, we just breathed a big sigh of relief because the, you know, it, it, Rome was burning. Every single different player was falling and we thought we were safe. And um, only for days later to, to get another piece of communication that needed to be put out around uh, filing for bankruptcy. Uh, it took the vast majority of employees by shock. Um, I think something that would also surprise people is that literally everyone except for Steve, in my opinion, but yes, I think there was a couple others, you know, yeah, uh, sure. Right I'm at, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right at the very top. You know what I mean? Um, but we, but we sure as hell did it. know. Um, I know the CMO did it. know. We were we were all really really distraught. I, I think I think unlike I, I think Voyager really gets bundled up in this FTX debacle, and a lot of people think that operationally it was just an absolute disaster, like FTX. And you know, I think one of the saddest things about it is that it wasn't. Um, there was it was just full of really hardworking, esteemed professionals who fucking killed themselves for this thing. I mean, we worked so hard for years to build it to what it was. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not surprising to me that that those communications, uh, they were misleading. I think that the position that they were in is not what, what was represented. And um, I think we were all really 
uh, like, hey, we just put this out there. Um, I, I know some particular people who worked on some of those communications uh, that that were just um, beside themselves. I mean, absolutely beside themselves, myself included. Um, and 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 just so distraught. And you know, I think when everything came down, I was a bit of a public figure for Voyager. So obviously took a lot of heat and rightly so it's just, we were just so out of the know. So yeah, I mean, it, I, it, I was a public figure for Voyager too. <laughs> totally. Totally. We worked so closely quite a bit at that time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, with, I think there was also this perception that, you know, people who are closer to the matter maybe had the opportunity to help friends and family get assets off um, that was just not the case. You know, the hammer came down on everyone and um, everybody, everything got subpoenaed. So, you know, I'm glad I didn't do anything stupid sure. because every message, everything, if there was anything related, um, it got subpoenaed. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty wild. I'm really curious to see, you know, what kind of the net result of this is um, like, like this investigation, this filing, uh, you know, there's some, some, obviously this isn't like a criminal proceeding. This is coming from the CFTC. So we'll see how they'll pursue things further. Uh, well, the last I thing I'll add a, to this. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say the last thing that I'll add to this is that, uh, you know, this wasn't just like text in the FTX thing. We're like, just put this out there and say, we'll buy all FTT at $22 and everybody will love it and they'll buy it all and everything will be fine. You know, none of that was the perception as all the communication went through legal review, compliance review, executive review. So, it, you know, it came top down. It went through a top down process only to lead to this, which I, 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 I find to be completely remarkable, you, you know, in the position of working there, you would never expect for those reviews to be in place and for something like that to still occur. Yeah, serious lesson. I, I think it's kind of a bitter, and Peter, I'll let you uh, chime in in a second. I think it's just a sort of a bittersweet situation because I think at this point, we all know that if Voyager had liquidated assets day one, right, we would have gotten 70, 75 cents on the dollar. Oh, we ended, God, yeah. Getting what they called 35, but if you look at the value of your assets on the day of the bankruptcy, it's 24%. Right. Roughly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's a it's a three X. And I think there's a perception that the bankruptcy was declared to protect the executives. Right. Well, and yeah, because mm -hmm. because there were existing suits that nobody talks about that right. got cleaned out in bankruptcy. Right. And there were a hell of a lot more that were coming. Yeah. And, and, and if there wasn't a bankruptcy, who knows what kind of tsunami would have rolled in. Right. Um, but I, I will say that uh, I have no idea if this is true. You know, I, I think that the pressure for bankruptcy was a hell of a lot higher due to the fact that Voyager was public. I don't know if that's Even true. Even Sam said the same thing and they weren't public, but about FTX, right. that there was this major yeah. pressure to declare bankruptcy. And anyone who's seen how much money bankruptcy lawyers get uh, would not be surprised by that. I, it, yeah, it, it, it was like, I can't believe it. I mean, the, the, the last the last, like one of the last formal documents that I submitted before I resigned was, uh, and it was right. It was, it was basically this weird window of about 24 hours where, um, I was told that this was going to happen. Um, I couldn't do anything about it. And I was waiting for the ball to drop and I actually didn't know when the news would hit. So I, it ended up being 24 hours. I thought it was only going to be about four. I put together, a uh, 
a very thorough idea doc of everything we could do to restructure to avoid this scenario because I just knew that the customers, everyone would just get absolutely hammered and yep. it was just gonna it was just gonna be such a fuck situation. Yeah. So I I, I I that was like one of the last things I put together. I had lots of ideas um and and had lots of different possibilities. No one was gonna go for it. You know, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. gonna happen. Um I'll say I don't, I, know, I, I, I don't yeah. know if I ever told you this. Well first of all <laughs> like uh before the before the bankruptcy, Voyager had done me a favor and turned off my crypto withdrawals because right. I had a sizable amount of money. And I said to Steve, actually, once upon a time long ago, I said, listen, I can't walk around with this accessible on my phone. But right. then for two months before the Voyager bankruptcy, I tried to contact everybody over and over again to turn on my crypto withdrawal. So I was literally the only Voyager customer in the world who couldn't withdraw during that period of fear. And then obviously, you know, my uh, withdrawal went from like 500 grand a day to 10 grand a day overnight. And so right. I couldn't get crypto out and I couldn't withdraw. But then to even add to it, last November, uh, Thomas Braziel, who's been on here a lot of times, who buys bankruptcy claims and flips uh -huh. them, right? Um, I got a call from uh, a friend who said, I just sold my bankruptcy claim in Voyager for 65 cents on the dollar. And I said, oh, get me on that shit, right? right. Put me in touch with Thomas. We started talking. He was like, well, we'll figure this out tomorrow. We'll be able to transfer your claim. You can sell it to me. And FTX collapsed that day, and the claims went. Oh my and died. god! Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, Unbelievable. it's laughable. I mean, at this point, but wow! Yeah. I mean, it was an absolute disaster. Peter, yeah. did you have something to add? Uh, you to add? Uh, Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say I just finished, you know, Michael Lewis's book on Sammy. Um, it reinforced what a, what a non-transparent uh, can of worms the the whole crypto back behind the wall spaces and i'm just wondering relative to what we just talked about how many more shoes are yet to fall how many more uh dominoes are yet to fall uh in, in the space uh, it's a good question i think the que i think there will always be more right uh, it's just a lot to cleanse i think the question becomes how significant will they be if they do right or how much of that is expected or priced in listen i, I have no uh, specific thoughts on binance but i think a lot of people point to binance as potentially a player there one of the narratives nobody's talking about uh seemingly is that ftx bought out binance from ftx right which we all know but using customer funds so there could be a massive potential clawback against binance of funds back to ftx which could be a pretty epic issue and then i think people point to dcg as a potential house of cards like i said i'm just kind of telling the narratives rather than sharing my own personal thoughts on them but the grayscale genesis DCG uh, situation seems to be tenuous at best, right? And so even the question then becomes like, do people just expect these things to fail at this point after seeing Genesis go bankrupt and, and all of the, the, the kind of FUD around Binance and how large of a player in the market will these, will these entities be by the time that happens if it does? Yeah, I'll just add to that, that the, the other shoe to drop there that, that you know, it, keeping in mind that BlockFi, Voyager, FTX, uh, 3Os, this was all from a yield-seeking environment. This was the hype of yield-seeking. In retrospect, it all probably seems crazy to everybody that people would take on all this risk for 8% when now the Fed is paying four and a half, right? Like, and, and, and so what we've seen as a whole is the flush of yield-seekers. But what we haven't seen 
is who has been able to buffer the initial blow and may still have issues. And then as you said, Scott, you know, there's these clawback concerns. There's a, you know, in realm to Voyager, there's a $400 million hold that Alameda has on assets they're claiming to be theirs, which, you know, in my opinion, it actually belongs to Voyager customers. There's opportunities for more. There's a lot of cases to be settled. So we'll see. Um, Scott, do you mind if I just share one last kind of ironic no, piece man. in the Voyager story? Love having you here. It's cathartic. It, yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Totally. Um, I'll say that one of the, one of the pieces that just really, uh, man, it really aches in my heart is, uh, is I, for almost two and a half years, maybe, maybe the whole time I was there, which about three and a half, um, I had just preached that we should just focus on staking that staking was the future algorithmic staking was about providing yields. And, you know, we had market, you know, and it's even in the filing market at as high as 12% yield. Well, that, that 12% was on polka dot staking. You know, that wasn't on risky borrowing uncollateralized assets to two idiots, you know, in three arrows capital. Um, uh, you know, there's people who support those guys, whatever. I just think they're idiots, but, but I, 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 I you know, we, we had a, an acquired an investment in Block Damon, which is an on-chain staking company. Um, and Steve wrote me, God, I want to say it was a couple weeks to a month before everything collapsed that said, hey, I, I really get staking. I'm all in. Let's build this. Let's do this. This is, this, is, this is the way. And it doesn't require any risk. And I just was so... Like, oh my God, like finally, finally, like we were there and we didn't even have a chance to, to, too little, you know, too late. Yeah. Too little, too, little late. too late. And, and you can imagine that if that was the only focus that there could have been a built different narrative. Now, whether Voyager would have survived the perception of the SEC on stakeable assets being potential alleged securities and some of these other things that these, brokers and their inability to register ended up getting hammered for lack of registration, even though it was unclear, you know, whether it could have fared all those headwinds on top of a brutal bear market with record low volumes for in ratio to the amount of assets that are actually in the market. You know, I really don't have the answer to that. The, the, the fate could have remained the same, but yeah, uh, pretty ironic here, but I just don't think that what we see right now is, uh, an exorbitant yield-seeking environment um, because there's plenty of yield on the dollar. I was just saying, get, get, go get in the yeah. treasury. Go, 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 go get, buy, buy, yeah. buy, buy some bonds. Yeah, yeah. Well, so man, that's thank, you for, thank you so much for joining and uh, sharing sharing your thoughts on it. I know that you had to remain silent for a very long time. And I, I did. It's just yeah. interesting that we're now seeing this, you know, well over a year later, at least some uh, some blowback towards the actual executives. And, you know, uh, interesting to see, I think, how this plays out. I think, you know, I've shared the thoughts a lot of times before, but each of these situations, Voyager, FTX, BlockFi, Celsius, I think they were all different. <clears throat> yeah. But to your point, I think they all came for this hunt for yield. I, I, I mean, I remember even talking to Steve about the fact that when Doge went crazy, mm -hmm. right, you guys had millions of people trying to sign up. People remember millions. that centralized exchanges could not get onboard people fast enough. I talked to CZ during that time and he was like, I'm a customer service agent. There's not enough people. We can't you know, get enough people to work for us mm -hmm. to onboard 
customers. It was too fast and largely because of Doge. But then you're in a situation where you have millions of new customers who are expecting a 9% yield. And yep. that's inevitably going to push you just further down the, the the risk curve until something explodes. So I think there's uh, cases of people who maybe uh, got out over their skis and, you know, uh, rather it was either lose the customers or go get riskier to get that yield. And that might be more of the case here. And then there were people who, when you listen to their case, like SBF, were just outright, outright frauds from the very beginning running Ponzi schemes, yeah. you know, and, and that, and then to, in my opinion, you know, when you see that SBF was uh, putting the back doors and lending to Alameda in 2019 before there was even the bull market, you know that that was uh, contrived and planned from the very beginning. But guys, I think we're going to uh, wrap it up here. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your perspective. Thank you, especially, Amateo, for, for sharing your thoughts on that, of course. of course. Once again, guys, that big red logo, Crypto Town Hall, as you noticed, we, we put in a full week here running the show on that account. It's been great. Um, and hopefully we'll have Mario's voice back very soon uh, as things hopefully calm down in, in the war. If you guys haven't been paying attention, he's been running 18 to 20 hours of spaces a day himself over there. Absolutely um, just astounding work and coverage. So I uh, can't wait until things calm down a bit and, and we get him back participating, but really has been great. Everybody down there, follow all of our guests. They're up here because we love them and because we give them our uh, you know stamp of approval. Otherwise, guys, we will see you back on Monday, 10, 15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you, guys. It's a wrap. See you on Monday.